Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone, I hope you're having a great day. I've been thinking about a message that you'll hear again from today's amazing guest, Olympian and all-around champion person, Dina Castor. my gosh. Um, It's something that most athletes encounter at some point in their training. It's when you hit a point when you're not sure if you should keep going or if it's time to drop out. Can you feel that? Everyone's been there. So we know that most amazing things take time and commitment and you have to trust that a good result will eventually happen. But it doesn't mean you don't wonder if it will ever pay off. And like this podcast, which I've been doing for two years, has grown exponentially in the past few months thanks to all of you for spreading the word. So good ideas eventually catch on, but you have to hang in there. So I want to tell you a little story today about this idea I had in 2004 that turned into the next great chapter in my life, skirt sports. When I launched the first ever running skirt into the market, many people thought I was crazy. And some people still tell me today (laughs) that they thought it was the worst idea ever and they were afraid to tell me at the time because I was so excited and they didn't want to hurt my feelings. Let me just tell you, tell someone because what does it hurt to tell them? I mean, granted, it was the best idea ever. So I'm glad they didn't tell me and I didn't listen. But anyway, so here's the deal. I get the company off the ground and it is going awesome. I'm getting tons of attention and excitement. I started dreaming about becoming the next like $100 million brand. In fact, our first April Fool's newsletter ever, we said we bought Nike and renamed it Nicoli. (laughs) By the way, Nike never contacted me. Um, But uh, I've been tested a ton along the way. But the first ever true gut check that I had that begged the question, should I keep going or is this all futile, was when we were first knocked off. See, I think there are knockoffs and there are legit businesses that create their own version of what you're doing. So I can respect other people trying to get in on the running skirt category and and doing it their own way. I mean, that's just them being smart business people. But the knockoffs always killed me. It was like a punch in the gut. So the very worst knockoff that came early on was when I was standing at the starting line of the New York Marathon in 2005, and four women in my corral were wearing our original Trix Marathon Girls. That's a lot of women for an early company wearing edgy, crazy stuff. So two of those women told me that they wanted to sell my skirts. So here's the deal. Later, I found out that they had put masking tape over our logo and wrote the name of their intended company on top of it. And a few months later, they never sold our skirts. They came out with the exact same product and claimed to be the first. It was infuriating. 
I wasn't sure what to do. Um, And I kept getting distracted thinking about the things that I could not control. So I asked a friend, uh, he was actually the CEO of Active.com at the time, a guy named Dave Alberga. And he told me this, what's important is to keep your eyes on the road ahead. If you keep looking in the rear view mirrors, someday you're gonna crash and not finish the race. So do you wanna finish the race or not? And from then on, I never considered dropping out because of something someone else did. I kept my eyes on the prize and 13 years later, Skirt Sports is still here. Awesome. So he, so here's what's fun. Um, I talked to the powers that be at Skirt Sports, <laughs> which I'm kind of one of them. And we decided to give you some Skirt Sports love for listening to this podcast and helping it gain the traction that it deserves to get. So we're going to give you a discount for 30% off of our new spring products for the month of April. All you do is enter the code don't give up no apostrophes, just don't give up, D-O-N-T-G-I-V-E-U-P at checkout. You can only use it on the new stuff, no sale items included, but that's what you're going to want anyway. All the cool new stuff, 30%. It's a pretty awesome deal. So I don't share a lot about the trials and tribulations of skirt sports. I really appreciate you listening because it's truly been the ride of my life, and I may share more often. Why not? You see... You know, if I've received a PhD in starting a women's activewear brand, you see, I believe we all have a PhD in something in our lives, then today's guest has a PhD in the art and science of running. Dina Castor grew up a running phenom and a highly recruited student athlete. In college, she struggled to maintain the momentum of her high school running career and seriously considered dropping out of the running world to pursue baking. I'm serious. She's actually still very passionate about food. Um, But it's a good thing she decided to give it one last go, or we probably wouldn't be here today with her. Through hard work, an open mind, and the right people in her life, Dina turned the corner and found the magic bullet that allowed her to fully tap into her potential as a person and an athlete. It's the power of positive thinking. Dina competed at the top tier of distance runners for over a decade, winning countless races from the 5K to the marathon. She still holds the American records in the marathon 10-mile 15K and 8K from a while ago now. Dina ran all the way at this level until she found out she was pregnant with her daughter Piper in 2010. And now she's running again, chasing master's records and crushing them. Be sure to cheer for her this weekend at the Boston Marathon. And by the way, Piper is just, I think, six months older than Wilder. So we were both pregnant around the same time. Um, I reconnected with Dina recently when I read her new book, Let Your Mind Run, which launches today on many outlets, basically anywhere books are sold. It It's a truly incredible, emotional, educational book about the power of positive thinking in sports. In fact, the subheader is A Memoir of Thinking My Way to Victory. Of course, I was drawn to how someone as seemingly invincible as Dina has had to work hard to tap into the positive power inside of her that at times she strongly doubted. I cannot wait to share her thoughts and insights with you in just a second. But before we get started, I'm so thrilled to share with you my first major podcast sponsor, Health IQ. 
Health IQ is a life insurance agency that helps healthy people get better rates. That's all it is. You know, I always thought it was unfair that I put so much focus on living a healthy lifestyle, but my rates would be the same as someone who smokes, drinks too much, and considers watching football physical activity. I actually never considered life insurance until I heard about Health IQ. So if you're interested in seeing if you qualify for better rates, go to healthiq.com backslash RTW and tell them I sent you. All right. On that note, I think we're finally ready. Let's bring Dina on the show. Um, Dina, I am like just so excited to finally connect. You remember when I reached out to you like two years ago and I said, I'm going to do this podcast and then I could yes. get my shit together. <laughs> I actually think it was like four years ago. <laughs> you were so gracious. I'm so glad we wait. I've had the podcast for two years now, and it's like this is couldn't be better timing for so many reasons. Like, and how have you been? Family's oh, good. Everything's okay. Yes, you know. Right. Um, I texted you. I don't know if I had your right text. So, did you get my texts? I don't think so. Okay. She. So, um, you're <laughs> maybe they gave me the wrong number on purpose. Um. <laughs> Oh, they probably gave you my home number for a phone call. Oh, yeah, they probably did. Because do you have yeah. bad reception in Mammoth? Um, yeah, it's just, it's very undependable. So okay. uh, for for talking phone, or the um, house phone is always like more clear. Yeah, totally. Um, I So all is great here. I think our daughters are maybe six months apart. When is Piper's birthday? February 21st. Of? Uh, uh, 2011. Okay. So. Wow, Feb 21. Cool. And Wilder yeah. is um, December 30th of 11. Oh, wow. And okay. they kind of like have a little similar look. I'll send you a couple photos, but Wilder is very Tim DeBoomish, like bl yeah. really blue eye, fair skin, blonde, you know. Oh. Yes. Isn't that, we're going to talk a lot about being moms on this one. This is going to be Such a fun. joy. It is such a joy. And how are you like, we're going to, you know, I already started recording. Okay. So great. why don't we just like, we'll pick it up here and we'll get sure. rolling because I want to respect your time. You are a busy woman. Oh, no, we're all busy. But luckily, we get to do all the things we love to do. <laughs> that That is the key to a happy life. Yeah, no doubt. So what are those things that you love to do, Dina? Oh, my gosh. Well, um, my family, I love spending time with my family. Um, that goes without saying when you live in a beautiful place, and you just want to explore together and play together, whether it's sledding or hiking, uh, skiing, cross country skiing, whatever that may be just to get out, get outdoors with the family, including our two mastiffs. So our family is is big and big and dog. Um, but I love doing that. I love cooking and entertaining at the house. I just had my mammoth track to mammoth track club teammates over last night for dinner. And we had this incredible meal, a uh, huge spread. So I love just taking the entire afternoon and, and pulling together a really nice, um, a really nice meal that people could just sit around the table for four and five hours and, and dine together. Um, that's a huge thrill to me. Running fits in there in a big way because that's where I gain my clarity and my motivation. Um, so that's those are the the things I love to do. Writing took so much of my time last year that I feel like um, like a maniac trying to get back um, all the things that I missed out on that I that I love to do um, that I couldn't do when I was in the reclusive state of writing. <laughs> This is really cool because basically your loves revolve around love with your family, food, yeah. <laughs> which yes. is awesome, and moving your body. 
How cool yeah. is that? It's a great balance. And you know, anytime I look at my calendar and feel crazed and overwhelmed with the amount of stuff I'm trying to pack into a day and jumping from one thing to the next without a shower, um, I look at my schedule and like, you know what, there's nothing I would take away. I love this all. And then it makes me feel so wonderful that my days are packed with things that I enjoy. Oh my gosh. And you know, but here's the deal. You're in your mid forties. Uh, 40. I just turned 45 last month. So exactly mid 40s. Yeah, exactly mid 40s. And um, yeah, I'm 46. So here's the deal. Like you get to this place of appreciating this kind of crazy whirlwind of life through a lot of experience. And then finally, like maturity takes over. And everyone used to tell me like, the 40s are the best. And I would look at them and be like, yeah, yeah, you're old. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You have to say that, you know. Yeah. But there's something about like coming into yourself at this time in life. I mean, do you feel, you know, part of this too, I I look at, I read your book and it's absolutely incredible. I have all these dog-eared pages. We're never going to get through all the things I want to talk about, but let your mind run. I mean, could you have really written this book in your 30s or your 20s, you know, like younger? Did you have to get to a place where you were ready I definitely had to get to a place where you kind of, you know, you um, in the in my 30s, I thought winning, winning and breaking records was everything and realizing now that it, it doesn't mean anything except for the pursuit of trying to chase them and what what you become in, in chasing those goals. But reaching the goals really doesn't matter at all. And so I couldn't have written this book uh, in my 30s. But now that you could weed out the things that um, that you don't care about in your life and fill your life with the things that you care deeply about um, that match your purpose, that align with your purpose, I think it's a it's a beautiful place to, to come to. And that's what that's what was really hard for me when my co-author and my husband, Andrew, were saying, you know, this we might have something here. And I'm like, but I didn't come from struggle. I came from a supportive family. I got a a full ride scholarship. Like that's not, people like to hear about, about struggle and, um, and overcoming that. And I realized that a lot of what I was um, dealing with in my twenties and thirties was, was, was understanding our great, great power and that, that we all have it. And some of us are born with a little more optimism or, um, or struggle mentally, but that we can, we can always shape our minds to be a little, a little better. And, um, and that's what this journey has been about in the past two decades was just trying to find those ways to, um, to get a competitive edge and realizing that I'm never going to retire because it's so easy to add that struggle to running, get to that place of struggle really fast and learn how to deal with it. You don't want to add that struggle to your life in order to to understand how to deal with it. So running has taught me how to deal with um, some of that negativity and struggle and be able to apply it in life when stuff hits the fan and, and you know, things just go on in life. And I feel like I have a grasp on how to deal with those things in, in such a more um, maybe endearing and and way that I can look and see growth in those opportunities. Oh my gosh, there's so much in that like little answer here that we could dig into about 10 parts of it. But you know, the overriding message is that this is a book about living a more positive life. And I mean, the it's a memoir of thinking my way to victory, right? This is a mindset book. And um, so so maybe maybe we even hit on the very beginning of this, something you just mentioned briefly. You said some people are born with more optimism. Like, are we as humans born positive or negative, half, half, glass half full, glass half empty kind of people? 
Yeah, and I, but I think we learned that at a very early age. Like my first lesson in optimism, I think, came from being adopted. And my reality was that I was given up, but I was also chosen. And because of my wonderful parents um, who raised me, they made me feel chosen all the time. And so that was really my first uh, lesson in that because so many children that I had met and adults that had been adopted felt slighted and, and rejected and I had never felt an inkling of that. So, um, so I think that 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 was part of what shaped me. Gosh, and, that's um, such a beautiful way to look at it. And all of a sudden, my mind just opened up so big to all these things we perceive as uh, possible hardships, but that you could shift anything to be yes. positive. Our perception, our perception, it, it makes our life. And so, I think we have a great opportunity on a daily basis, moment to moment, even. To, to shape to shape our perspective and then shape shape who we are and and the world that we believe that we that we live in so it's a huge power that I think goes unnoticed quite a lot that we spend money on gym memberships and all this time during the day like sculpting our biceps and crunching our abs and um, when we can spend that equal amount of time um, in any given opportunity without a membership at all um, free of charge to be able to to shape our perspective a, a little bit better. And our minds are so malleable. They, they're a muscle just like the rest of us. And so we can, we can change that. Um, we can change that chemistry, change the function of our mind, change its, um, its perspective uh, so easily throughout the day. So let's go, let's, let's look at your running career as like a little practice in how a mind can shift and change because um, you mentioned in the, you know, a minute ago, like people want to hear about real struggle. And I feel like my story isn't as powerful or compelling because you didn't, you know, grow up a certain way or have something horrible happen to you. But that's absolutely not true. I mean, we all have struggles. And, you know, a lot of it for women, especially, there's a lot of struggles we have around body image you know, self-confidence and things like that. So, you know, you mentioned that running brought you so many gifts, but within running, there's so many struggles. So let's just talk for a little bit here about, let's let history like lead us a little. You know, I was thinking about this. How long has your running career been? Oh my gosh, I, uh -huh. 30, 34 years I've been running competitively <laughs> since I was since I was 11. I mean, and it, it's great. Do you know anyone who's had a job for 34 years? Not that I it was, was always a job, but... Yeah, luckily it doesn't feel like one. But um, <laughs> I, I was thinking the other day, like, I wonder how many miles. I wish we had like oh. little odometers in our in our quads that could just tell us how many miles were in there. Um, some days it feels like there's more than other days, but um, I think it would be really fun to tally up. I have a pretty good um, log keeping, like journal keeping from training over the years. But you know, you miss you miss a year or two in there for being lazy. Um, but I think the biggest the biggest gifts have been have been the disappointments because those are the those are the moments that make you hungry and make you internalize when when running and life are going really really well which is always synchronistic you know running and life are going well or they're both going really terribly oh, and that's, uh, yeah I yeah like and that. I I think that the the greatest gift is when it's going terribly because that's when you like pause and pay attention a little bit more and look at those look at those loopholes that you could jump through to become better, um, to be, to be better, to be wiser, to be stronger, more resilient, 
um, more persistent. And so I think that those are in those lessons are the biggest values. And when I broke my foot in the 2008 Olympic Games, mile three of the Olympic Games, here I thought I w- was my opportunity to finally win gold. And my foot breaks and I end up finishing the race in a in a bus. Um, and it, it was at first very devastating. I gave myself a moment to, to sob uncontrollably into a really rough fabric of a towel I was given. But then I thought, you know what, this this does, I'm not ready to accept that this just, this just happens to athletes, that we sometimes go to the brink and break because I think our bodies are really capable. So I was trying to think of, um, trying to get myself to a place of, you know what, this happened for a reason. I'm going to find out the reason. And as soon as I find that reason, I'm going to be stronger than ever. And sure enough, understanding this enormous vitamin D deficiency, I didn't, I didn't feel like in the book I, I needed to go into cancer because you can't just you can't just say cancer loosely and um, and and skim over that without making it its own chapter. But I've I've struggled with melanoma and various forms of skin cancer for the past 15 years, and so it's uh, sun exposure is not an option for me. But now I need to get vitamin D. Be very conscious about getting vitamin D through the foods that I eat. Wow! So huge lesson, huge lesson. I mean, and I, and I knew it would come. You know, you just have to get there. You just have to figure it out. Oh my gosh. Okay. So let's talk about melanoma for a minute because it's not in the book. And this is a big, serious issue for those of us who enjoy the outdoors as our world and environment are changing, right? And, you know, part of me, especially after I had my daughter, we're going to get into motherhood here because our kids are about the same age. We went through this incredible journey together. But, um, you know, especially when I had her, and this is what blows my mind, I... I just wore sunscreen, like whatever I could find at Target, you know, the cheap one that said it was 30, right? Right. And then I had a kid and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't just put like cheap sunscreen on this precious skin. And of course she was bald for two years, so she had to have sunscreen on her head. But like, um, why wouldn't I have thought of myself in the same way? That, you know, know, A, you're absorbing chemicals that are in your skin, but you need that protection from the sun. So... How, like, how are you managing that? Like, okay, so did it actually make you, how bad was, melanoma is bad, but like, did it, was it, hey, you could die if you don't handle this quickly kind of melanoma? I am so lucky that I have a really um, type A dermatologist in Southern California who I see a few times a year. And she caught it on the back of my arm and then a year later on my shoulder and then two years later on my rear end, which the sun never gets to. So I know it's more of a genetic type of, of melanoma. And so I cover up. I wear hats all the time, hats and sunglasses and I want to wear the best, so Asics makes a running cap that has SPF in the fabric so it doesn't get into my scalp because your clothing, a regular shirt is about 8 SPF in it. And uh, and then long sleeves, even in the height of summer, I'm running in capri pants and long sleeve shirts, but thin long sleeves. And the first few times I was a little claustrophobic, but then now my body's just used to it and, and I get out there in my long sleeve and I never feel too hot or overheated. I've acclimatized to to wearing excessive clothing and um and obviously trying to run in the cooler parts of the day so I'm not sabotaging my um, hydration or anything. And and wear really good quality sunscreen. It's so funny you mentioned uh, 
buying better sunscreen once Wilder was born because I did the same um, eating-wise with Piper. I was chopping up spinach really finely into her meatballs, and uh, I thought, you know what? Why don't I do this for us, too? If it's extra nutrients for our daughter, it could also be extra nutrients for us. So I started chopping spinach up into our meatballs, which doesn't change the flavor or texture. It just adds nutrients to it. So um, the things we we learn through, through having children is that we also take better care of ourselves. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good point. But, you know, so there's a big, like, wake-up call of your own mortality, within this whole, you know, process of coming into yourself and learning how to live a more positive life, right? Um, That had to be one of the, and I understand why you didn't put it into the book. And but why I'm focusing on it is because I didn't read it. So I'm like, I want to know more. Um, Right. uh, And it was, it was crazy to be on my way to the airport to go race over in Europe for the summer track season and get a call from the dermatologist who had taken the biopsy. And she says, well, I got your results back and you have melanoma, but we caught it. We caught it early. So we just need you to um, I'm going to patch you in over to the secretary and get you um, have her make you an appointment. And I said, "Okay, I'm actually going to be back at the end of September. And it was maybe the end of June. And she's like, oh, no, you need to come in today. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, that's when I understood the serious of it. I didn't even understand it. Um, at first. And, um, and she's like, no, you need to come into today. And I was like, okay, this is a big deal. So I went in immediately and, um, and had surgery to get like a part of the back of my arm removed. (laughs) So, um, so it was, it was scary, but I also felt like I was in good hands. I trusted my doctor. I trusted that if I keep going in every few months, that anytime she sees something, it's going to be caught early. So early detection with any cancer is the, is the, has the greatest chance of, of surviving it and even thriving afterwards. So I feel very um, adamant about getting in those, um, those, those visits every few months. Well, maybe let's talk about the process of how do you, it's so cliche in a sense, like, Every negative, you can turn into a positive, right? But that's the truth of what your message is today. So how, like when you heard this news, first of all, how how old were you? Um, 27, I believe. Oh, wow. Okay, so this was way before kids. I don't, you weren't yes. even married yet, were you? I, I got married that summer and I called yep. myself the Frankenstein bride because I had a huge <laughs> scars going down the back of my arm and my dress was already picked out so I couldn't like put sleeves on it or anything. So, um, but it was, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a wake up call in one sense because it was like this little, I mean, I have pretty freckly skin, but it was this little tiny black dot. Like this, it was the tiniest thing. And she took out something the size of a healthy pancake um, out of the back of my arm. So just to get clear margins, because you don't know how it's spreading under the surface of the skin. So very aggressive. She was very aggressive in taking out um, a, a large margin around this freckle. But now I see a freckle on my daughter and I'm like, oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Like thinking oh. in my head, we've got to get you checked. Like I'm, I'm already thinking like, okay, I need to set up a dermatology appointment for her. And she's only seven. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, and so you get this tough news and then are you able to turn, how do you turn it around? So for anyone listening who's getting tough news that they got yesterday or they're going to get tomorrow, like 
Do you let yourself grieve? How talk us through like how do you turn your mindset into one of positivity? I, I think you let yourself grieve. Absolutely. You have to honor to, to just say, oh, I'm fine. Isn't honoring the um, your emotions because you're not fine. You're scared or or you're um, or you're faced with mortality. You're sad, whatever immortality you're just you, you've got to honor whatever those feelings are. But then find the best people to trust around you. Find the doctors to trust, get a second opinion um, and then realize once that tumor is removed or that melanoma, that freckle is removed. Once it's, once it's gone, know like, okay, I'm healthier now than I was two weeks ago when I thought I was healthy. (laughs) That was my, that was my mindset. Um, once it was removed, it's like, wow, I wonder how superhuman I'm going to feel now that this isn't in like infesting my body. And so trying to move on to a place of believing that I was healthy and then always being a little uneasy when I go back to the dermatologist but when I leave with a clean bill of health or when she removes something, I think, okay, good. We're just staying on top of this. We're managing this. And um, so it's always always coming to that place of trust um, in the end. I like that. Coming to the place of trust and with yourself. Yeah. That's the Absolutely. key. Absolutely. So, so going back in time, you know, you you grew up, you started running in your early teens, right? Yeah. And um, looking back now... Now that you are like the positivity guru, (laughs) which I believe and I love and I say with like kind of a a fun tone, but it's like the best way to live. I can't imagine wanting to be any other way. Do you look at yourself in, you know, your running is clearly a good way to kind of look at benchmarks because you've had a lot of ups and downs throughout your running career. Um, do you look back and you think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I handled this a certain way or that a certain way? Or do you feel like your path has always sort of been on this side of positivity? No, I definitely struggled in, in college. Um, but I, but I wouldn't change that journey for anything here when I was before college, when I was in junior high school and high school and running, I just, thrived off my talent and loved running. It was so joyful to me. I loved running in the mountains and I loved hammering races, but I saw no association between the two. They gave me very different, different feedback. Um, running, running in the Santa Monica mountains was just this joyous exploration. I saw, I didn't see it as training. And then in racing, I just saw it as this, this thrill of effort and reward every time I got out there. Um, so very different feelings between the two um, so I saw no, no connection. And unfortunately that wreaked havoc on me in college when I didn't understand training, training's effect on racing and just had this, this really high expectation of myself for unknown reasons. Like, is my talent going to hold up today? So I think that a lot of, a lot of that journey and understanding what talent is now, I never tell Piper that, um, that she's talented or good, good at something. I just, reward her in uh, or praise her in her efforts like oh you know you that was a I loved seeing you try so hard in cross-country skiing today or it was really fun to hear you play with your voice and singing lessons like um just trying to to um to look more at the process rather than making her feel like she has something um to rely on. So I'm very careful, careful with that just because I struggled with it so much when I was growing up. Oh yeah. I think, 
you know, children who are born to people who've had successful athletic careers, you know, some, some of them are pushed and pressured, but many of us are very like, you know, very aware of not making them feel that same kind of pressure that we may have felt at different times. Absolutely. It's so fun. So for us to come from this athletic background, we're so self-conscious of, of that, where there's other parents up there who don't have athletic backgrounds at all. And they're like screaming at their kids and putting their fists over the course of the, of the cross country race. It's really funny to see that, um, to just to observe that difference. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's a whole nother podcast probably. And I don't know anything about like how to help people with their parenting. (laughs) Yeah, but it's it's fun and the kids the kids look like they're enjoying it nonetheless. It's just it was just a fun observation to me. And the parents parents and the kids both seem to be loving it on the other on the other end of the spectrum, but I guess um as athletic parents we're probably a little more self-conscious of it. Well, so, you know, there's a, a there's a, a few chapters in the book, you know, through this sort of coming of age process through, you know, being a let's use the word talented and yeah. successful athlete in in high school and then getting recruited and going to college and running and then just struggling and your body wasn't like something wasn't clicking right you said you said struggling in exactly the way it felt it was like painful struggling Ugh. yeah you said uh. it perfectly <laughs> well and and you know what i really admired when i was reading your story was that you were able to pull yourself away from dina the athlete and explore the other parts of yourself which happen to revolve more around food which i could also relate yeah. to <laughs> And, you know, and it brings up this idea of how we define ourselves in this world. Absolutely. And it it was really, um, it was a, it was a fun, it was the hardest chapter to write, to write about your biggest struggles and then how you totally ignored them and tried to disassociate from even dealing with them because I didn't know how to. Um, so it was definitely the hardest chapter to come to terms with and to even understand um, this many years later in in that productive productive way like I even remember sometimes writing and like the tone seemed so angry and helpless and um, and then I would get to the where I started baking and baking for the cafes and it just seemed to flow out of me so easily like that section just was so easy to write within that chapter but the struggle struggle part of it was hard and then and then and then understanding how I came out of that in a in a um, in a mature way, um, how I matured through that. Um, so it was just a really it was a hard chapter um, to live and a harder chapter to to understand and and write about. But it was such a it was really an, an important piece because it it only I only got to step away from that, step out of that through really critical understanding. I had to. I had to really um, look deep into myself as any any college graduating collegiate um, uh, student would that we're we're trying to make really big decisions where we want to live, where we want to work, um, what standards we want to hold ourselves to. So graduating from college is a really stressful time for a lot of people. Um, and uh, and it was definitely definitely for me. But but being able to trust certain people with um, with their advice and then be totally inspired and realize that I wasn't making a um, 
a spontaneous decision. I felt so inspired by my phone call with with Coach Vigil, who um, who just in five minutes on the phone made me feel a buzz of excitement and an inkling of possibility and the potential of of becoming more and wanting to make sure that before I stepped away from running, I wanted to make sure that I gave it everything I had. And in that moment, realizing I knew nothing was really exciting to me. Oh, that is such a cool thing. You know, a few things have come to mind through this part of the conversation. Um, I had I sort of have a little idea here. So you said writing the chapter of your greatest struggles was the hardest, but led to some of the most, I don't know, the, the greatest... Uh, Understanding. Yeah. yeah. So do you think it would be helpful for people, as painful as it is, to write their chapters of greatest struggle? Because even years and years later, we still sometimes go back to those places. It, was there a release in it? Would, you know, would that be an interesting exercise for our listeners? Absolutely. And I would, I would, I would make sure that the, that the understanding that you come to isn't judgmental. Cause I feel like I struggled with that for a while that, um, that I would, I would reflect and pay attention and try to, um, try to really dig down to, to what the root of, of that, that emotion was or the struggle was, but disappointment meant I was a failure. And, um, and it took a while to understand with the help of, of my new professional coach, Joe Vigil at the time, that disappointment just meant that I cared and I expected more out of myself. So how can I get more out of myself? And, yeah. and it was, it was really an important um, differentiation of, of, of analyzing and judging as opposed to analyzing and, and, and learning, um, learning how to move forward with that, with that information that you have. Yeah. Oh, I love this. Well, and what's really crazy to me is this was sort of a crossroads. Like you could have quit running after college with sort of like a, a little bit of a fizzle, right? Or you could have decided to give it one last push and give it everything. And, uh, it's, it's mind blowing to think that Dina, who, I remember as Dina Drossen, yeah. <laughs> Dina Castor now, would have maybe not done the things you did and, you know, to make the mark you have on this world in running. And so, so it really leads me to this concept of like coaches and mentors because I have a feeling and I keep wanting to call them vigil, <laughs> v- yeah. Vigil, right? That's yes. how you pronounce yes. it. Coach Vigil was much more than a coach. He was a mentor and a guide to you in so many ways. Absolutely. And I've, I've learned over the years that um, coaches never get enough credit for what they do. They don't just stand there and hold a stopwatch and tell you to either run five miles or five times a mile repeat. But um, but they really have a huge influence on the lives of, of the athletes that they're instructing. And um, and so it's it's important to be that that voice of reason, that voice of optimism and also um, giving people um, holding them accountable. And I loved that, um, that coach Vigil, um, one of his greatest attributes was holding me accountable. If I showed up to practice tired, it wasn't because the workload was too much. It was because maybe I didn't rest enough or I need to eat more. So I loved that he always put it on me. This is the training program that works. And if you're coming to practice, 
um, feeling like you're overtraining, you're probably under rested because your body can handle an extraordinary amount of work. So I've never believed, and uh, once under him, I never believed in overtraining. I just believed I needed to rest more in between the training. And um, I have been able to put in an extraordinary amount of work doing that. So my advice to people whenever they want to add weights or add stretching routine or add miles to their to their to their training, no matter their sports, that um, add hours to their training, I always advise them to also add the rest. If you want to add more, you also need to add more rest. Ooh, that's a really good point, especially as we get older. And, uh, you know, you're mid forties now officially <laughs> official. It's official. And, and you know, it, Oh, the poor pro athletes, when they decide to be done, what are they going to do next? That kind of thing. Right. <laughs> well, you, you know, you're still, I would assume on your tax return, a professional athlete, right? Yes. Yes. But you know, you're running now in the master's division. You're not running to win gold medals like you were when you, you know, were in the three Olympics that you ran. So, you know, how do people, it's like one day you're just a, not as fast. And right. then you think, well, maybe that was a fluke. But eventually over time you realize I'm on, I'm on the other side of the bell curve here. So what's the, how does that mental process, what do you recommend for people to keep a positive outlook during the aging process, let's just say? Yeah, I mean, I think that that is just, you know, we as athletes, you always look for that challenge. Like for a long time, it's getting faster and running personal bests. And then it's about, it's about getting a personal best in a different way. Like how do you become better in this, in this run? And you can still push and defy your age. Um, it may not look as fast as your twenties, but, um, but I think some of my, um, proudest races, um, have been more recently, um, the Chicago, the Chicago marathon in 2015, I was sixth place in the race and it's probably the race that I'm proudest of, um, because it took every ounce of optimism, every pep talk, every mantra I've ever used was kind of the accumulation of, of all that I knew. And I felt so proud that despite some of the, the odds against me, whether it was age or having the flu two weeks before the race or balancing my time as a, as a mom and not being able to get in the 120 mile weeks that I used to, I got creative with the training and my husband who coaches me in the mammoth track club now, instead of running those bigger weeks, decided to cluster my workouts kind of after ultra runners that we would do a, a tempo run on Friday and my long run on Saturday right afterwards so that I was running my long run tired. Um, just trying to get creative with how to strengthen strengthen um, myself in, in those ways without overdoing it. And um, so that was a fun challenge. And I felt really proud to continue, um, continue pushing and, and manipulating workouts to try to get there. And that is about pulling out all the positivity tricks in your book for yeah. the lead up and during the race. And I love the fact that, yeah, sixth place overall, like for a lot of people, they'd be like, what is she talking about? That's awesome. But if you think about you and your history, I mean, you know, you, you've won marathons and big marathons like Chicago. And so, but you set a master's record in that race, didn't you? Yeah, I set a, a master's American record. It was seven minutes slower than my personal best. And I'm more proud of, of that race than my personal best. Yes. <laughs> so, 
Yes, because it's about striving for like realistic greatness as we get older, because the reality just starts to change. So it's like not being hard on yourself. Maybe time isn't as important, but other things become more important. Right. And, and, um, I don't, I'm not getting political here by any means, but, um, there is a quote from Barack Obama in his first inaugural address and talk about a silver lining. I had the flu, so I couldn't go to practice, which meant I was home to be able to watch the (laughs) inauguration and, um, with a, with a bucket next to me, of course. Um, and, and he said that there is nothing more satisfying to the nor, there's nothing more defining of our character character or defining defining of our character or satisfying to our spirit than giving our all to a difficult task and i felt so privileged to be there to hear him say that because that's that's how i continued to to view running that these these hard moments that we have these struggles that we have to get through yeah the race was hard but you made it to that finish line or or you made it you made it as far as you could go that day um and needing to rely on plan b c d e f maybe all the way down to to y and z that you had to keep shifting your your perspective but once you make it through moments like that, there's such a pride that is involved in it, as opposed to the easy ride, um, the days where it feels like you can just go forever. And those are really fun and rewarding, but you don't really learn anything from those days. You learn from those days of, of struggle and, um, and really pushing, pushing your body to the, um, your body and your mind to its, to its limits and therefore its potential. And those are the days that feel really, really good and that you can be most proud of. And that is the beautiful dance of sport. Yes. (laughs) I love it. Um, And I couldn't agree more. You know, it actually reminds me of this um, concept that you talk about in your book, which is power versus force. And, you know, a lot of times as athletes, we get tired and then we muscle through stuff. And I think that's that's the force. You're forcing things, right? Talk a little bit about this concept. I think it's relevant in so many ways beyond sports even. Yeah, definitely even beyond sports. It's how we how we hold ourselves in the day. There's um I I might be going off on a total tangent, which is just what I do on a daily basis, moment to moment. But um there's a really great TED talk by Amy Cuddy and she talks about power posing and like how you stand and hold yourself and and if your um, if your hands are on your hips or your arms are open and while you're listening to a discussion that's a powerful um, a powerful way to stand that you're embracing the people around you you're open to to listening and and power stands in and of itself um, it doesn't need the that explaining or the the gloating um, the the fanfare around it. And force is when you're just trying to like shove it down someone's throat, trying to shove your your point down their throat, trying to to show yourself bigger, um, to show off even, and um, and that one has a lot more grace than the other. That um, that that power just kind of emanates and even helps the people around you. Um, it motivates and inspires people around you, whereas force is kind of ugly and and um, and uh, and forceful. So. Uh, it's it's something to to think about when you're out there on the athletic arena, but also in life itself. Well, yeah, and we all carry this ability to have a beautiful, positive power aura around us. Yes. And uh, we can tap into that. We can go there. But, you know, we're also human. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so every once in a while, it's recognizing the difference. And I actually think that's one of the beautiful things that sport has given me. And I'm assuming you, but maybe not, is the ability to know my body inside and out. It starts with the physical parts of your body, right? But then yeah. it, it taps into something greater. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about with this whole journey of how sports are so physical, but in the end, it's about the emotional and spiritual side of making you a better person. Yeah. And it's, um, to me, I almost feel like it's the art of paying attention. Like when you're two weeks into, uh, to a new routine or, or training segment and you, and you can see and feel your body getting stronger. And then that, that excites you and, and is kind of your hook to continue going. Cause the first couple of weeks are kind of ugly. You feel uncoordinated. Your breathing isn't in sync with your arms or your legs and, um, and you're sore afterwards. But, um, but once you get that hook, once you feel and, but it takes that paying attention part. And then the same with your, with your mental evolution, your mental growth, um, flexing that muscle, um, and seeing how, wow, I got through that run yesterday and today. And, and now there's, um, maybe you break an egg in the skillet or you stub your toe walking to the bathroom in the middle of the night and you can handle that with a little more grace. Um, that once you, once you can see how that infiltrates the, the rest of your life, um, that's why sports can be, um, it's, that's where sports are. It's most valuable. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Um, let's, uh, let's move on to a topic that I really want to talk about. I really want to understand your journey here. It's becoming a mama. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny because in the book, you don't really say like, yeah, we talked about becoming parents and we were trying. It was more like, hey, I got pregnant. Yeah, it was an accident. <laughs> you hate to tell your child they were an accident. Don't you? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. But it sounded like and that you were really happy it happened or you embraced it. So talk a little bit about getting pregnant and what that meant to you mentally and physically. Yeah, I um I was preparing for the New York Marathon. Something was lacking in my my training and I thought it just I just needed to run an emotional race. And the New York Marathon had been my first race in 2001 after the attacks of September 11th. So it was a very patriotic and emotional first marathon to run. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go back to New York and I'm going to I'm going to try to win this thing. And I was training um a lot of my teammates were over in Europe on the on the European track season. So I was training at the park um here mile repeats by myself and just struggling so hard um whereas the week before i was i was doing great so i didn't understand it and if um if my foot break in beijing taught me one thing it was that sometimes we don't see what's going on internally so i immediately went to the hospital and got a blood test um but my mom suggested i might be pregnant because she said oh when i was pregnant with your sister i was so exhausted all the time. I could barely get out of bed. I'm like, that's how I feel. So I went and got a little kit and sure enough, um, was pregnant. And if running taught me anything, it was to be goal oriented. So it was almost automatic that my New York city marathon goal just kind of closed off. And I was like, all right, how do we, how do we create a healthy child? Let's, let's start with, um, 
you know, nutrition and rest, and I'm going to go out for a nice little walk this this evening and and, and breathe in these beautiful views to um, so that she can enjoy them inside. Or I didn't know she was a she at the time, but so that it can enjoy from inside and just started nurturing myself and um, and knowing that by nurturing myself, I was nurturing the the child inside of me. So it was it was automatic, which was so crazy. Um, but that's because I that's because for so many years I had been goal oriented with running. So my new goal was healthy child. Oh, I completely I can really understand that. And like you want to be the world champion at becoming yes, <laughs> developing yes, a yes. healthy child. I'm going to be a gold medal mom. <laughs> and you I think you are, you know, um, but here's the deal. Like in a split second, you will no longer be a singularly focused person again. You can't just live your well, you could, I guess, live your life just racing and training things change in that moment forever. So, you know, did you ever realize, like, have you ever resented not being able to be as singularly focused or how do you handle that going forward? I had to, I had to get there, but first year when, when people find out you're pregnant, they, they like roll their eyes and say, life will never be the same. And you're like, gosh, that sounds so like, like pessimistic or dramatic or whatever. And my response, like, again, it was automatic was I live in a pretty, I live a pretty amazing life. Andrew and I here in the mountains, we travel to great places. And now we get to share that with a, with a kid. Like that sounds pretty amazing. Like I just like, and it was, it was just an automatic response. Like, yeah, but we get to share our amazing life. So it was about sharing, you know, we get to, to broaden, to broaden our life, to, to share this, this great existence with it, with another being. And that felt like, like a big honor, but um, the struggle came with returning to competitive racing and feeling like I was um, cheating my running because I wasn't giving it that singular focus. But then also I wasn't there 100% for my child because I would be on the treadmill doing a run and hearing her cry upstairs or um, leaving her when she was um, when she was crying with Andrew and going out for, for a run um, and feeling guilty for it. So... Uh, for so many years, I had been so 100% into what I was pursuing. And for the first time, I had competing forces. And I wanted to be really good at both of them and, and had to compromise. And it took me a long time to figure that out. I, you know, I feel the same way. Um, it takes a long time. And like, I feel like I finally got comfortable about a year ago when she was five. Yeah. <laughs> Is five years the thing? Yeah. I know is that it's it's so crazy. Like here, you think you have your life figured out, and it and it takes a a little a little runt to to make you realize you have nothing figured out yet. Yeah. Um, but it did. It took a it took a long time to first realize. Hey, I'm not trying to reinvent something here. I'm not special or unique. There are people that are that ha- that manage their business, that have families, that go out and and train for for races, and so if my profession and running are the same thing, then I should have this easier than the, than, than the, the other person. Um, but I just needed to figure, figure it out. And it took a, a moment of being like, Hey, I love running. I love being a mom. I, I love being a wife and the president of the mammoth track club. And I love where I live, even though sometimes it's hard to get places because it's a little remote. Um, so, so I'm going to make all of these things that I love work together. <laughs> 
That's it. And you used this word earlier, a shared purpose or an alignment. Um, and I think that's that helps take a little bit of the pressure off of trying to just be like superwoman in everything. Yeah. Yeah. And just give what you're in your undivided attention. It's a good lesson in mindfulness of being when I'm out there training, I'm immersed in the training and knowing that I'm giving it 100% in this moment. And then when I get home, and I'm baking cupcakes with Piper, or we're doing a craft at the kitchen table, that I'm totally into that my phone is shut off, my running shoes are far away, my training log isn't sitting right next to me, um, urging me to, to think of a motivational quote, I'm just in the task. And, um, and that has been really, uh, uh, fulfilling. It's really fulfilling in, um, to, to make sure that you're giving your hundred percent as opposed to, um, multitasking, which sounds really glamorous, but it's really just the art of not paying full attention to, to certain things. Oh man, <laughs> I have so much work to do. It's really hard to be a hundred percent in, but I like these tips of like, number one, turn your phone off. That is probably yeah. number one. Oh my gosh, because it's so easy to check that text that just that you heard just come through when you're in the middle of like cutting and pasting something on a brown paper bag or whatever, uh, whatever you happen to be doing at the moment. So, you know, with this uh, thought, thought of having a positive outlook in mind, um, how has Piper <laughs> tested that? Oh my gosh, it's really funny how how kids teach us so much. You think, I, I thought going into parenthood, like, oh, I, I don't even know everything. How am I going to teach this kid so much? But I actually realized that she teaches me quite a bit. And one of the things she's taught me was patience. Um, I never had them before. And oh. I've learned to to have patience. I, I want things done immediately. And um, and so I have to take deep breaths sometimes. And, um, and I feel like she's given me the gift of patience. And or maybe I've taken them away from my husband because he used to be very patient and now he's less <laughs> less so with her procrastinating of putting the game board game away or whatever it could it, whatever it might be. So we've kind of had like a role reversal in our in our patients, oh my um, which I found really interesting. <laughs> I love. So is she a doddler? Because Wilder is. It drives us insane. Yeah. Yeah. But you realize. Yeah, but she's really into what she's doing. And do you want to rip her out of out of that focus? So I don't know what the right thing to do is. I'm still learning this parenting thing. <laughs> no, but I think these these tips and tricks to this life of positivity, they play in in every little thing we do. And that's I think that's a really cool point with kids is it's on a micro level. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a real it's a it's a reality check every day when you're practicing positivity, but you feel your nerves starting to tingle and your blood pressure rising at, um, at the, the Sharpie that she just drew a unicorn on the sliding glass doors, um, that you're like, oh my gosh, that was a really bad choice to have a Sharpie laying around. Um, but you never want your positivity to atrophy. And so it's kind of been a game to me. I'm not intense about it. It's a game like, okay, how could I have a better perspective here? You know? Okay, and, so and going with it. So here's a question then about other people. So we all know people in this world who are less than positive. How do we tell them or or somehow hint to them that they right. could consider, you know, working on this trait? 
Right. I, I think it definitely depends on the situation. Families are off limits. You can't ever teach families to have a healthier lifestyle, to be more optimistic. I've tried, but it seems a lot easier with friends and <laughs> friends and um, and uh, um, and and maybe more distant family or even uh, people that you meet through sport. Um, but I think listening is really important before you, before you're quick to, to, to judge. Um, Cause it's easy to say, Oh, that's so pessimistic. I, I feel like I, I say it internally, but I don't let it come out of my, of my mouth because I want to listen first because there's a reason for, for people's struggle or their pessimism and you want to be able to hear why. Um, and then offering offering something um, an alternative for them because sometimes it's hard to do it on your own at first. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, we're gonna link to your book, Let Your Mind Run, which people can pre-order right now. Correct? Yes, and we just um, my co-author Michelle Hamilton and I had worked diligently on this workbook. Um, so you can, you can use some of the same practices to try to come to your own optimism or success in, in, um, in whatever you're trying to accomplish, whether it's sport or life, it's goal, it's a goal oriented workbook, but there's also, um, some good reflecting exercises in it, but we created this workbook and even sent it out to a test group, um, last year and got great feedback from it. And we're offering a instant download of that workbook if people pre-order. So we're trying to encourage people to, to pre-order with that. Awesome. Uh, oh my yeah. gosh. Totally. Yeah. Let's get on it. Everybody, there is going to be a link in the show notes and we are going to spread the word because your book is absolutely incredible. There are so many great messages that I have all these notes of things I wanted to talk about in the book, but we didn't hit on, which is good because they need to buy the book. But I'm going to, I'm going to pull one out before we wrap up here based on, you know, the last thing we were talking about, which is people who are less than positive. Um, this is a part of the book that hit me in the gut and the heart. Like I wanted to cry when I read it. And it was that, you know, you'd been training with this group of men and uh, when the coach was around, they were on good behavior. But one time the coach wasn't around and you showed up for practice and they were already done. And yeah. you you kind of walked up and said, hey, why didn't you guys tell me practice changed? And they were like, because we don't like you. Yeah. And you stood there and you thought, is this a joke? And no one said anything. Yeah. And you realized that they meant it in some way, maybe through their insecurities. But mm. how do you, A they could have really learned from this. And, uh, you know, had you guys been able to really have a discussion about what's going on, that's a hard thing to do. You know, maybe it could have turned into a different result. But how do you recover from something like that and continue to grow and be an open and positive person? It still makes my lip quiver when <laughs> when I think of that of that moment, because here you this is your support system, your best friends that you push yourselves to the limits every day and realizing that um, it was only one guy that that said that he didn't like me. But because the other ones didn't didn't um, pipe up or <clears throat> or say anything, um, they all just kind of looked down. At, it, it felt as if they said it in unison, like they were a chorus or an army uh, chanting it. And, um, and so it was, it was a huge struggle and because they didn't have a reason for not liking me. It's similar to like 
when a, a boyfriend breaks up with you and they, they don't give you a reason and you're left to just like mull over all the reasons he might not like you. Like maybe my shoulders are too broad or he, he doesn't, you know, you don't, you never know. My rib cage sticks out more than my boobs. Maybe that's why he doesn't like me. But, um, <laughs> but, but you think, you think like, okay, you, you go over and you, you like micro analyze every time you were together, every meal you shared, every mile, mile, you spent hammering on the roads and um, and I just couldn't figure it out. And then you you reflect like, okay, am I am I a terrible person? But I had been doing so much self work. I had been working on on myself so much that I came to the realization and it was a very important one. And it sounds very cheesy, but okay, I actually like myself. And it was the first time I ever acknowledged that, um, that man, I'm, I'm doing all this work and I'm trying really hard to be better at everything that I do. But even though I'm trying to improve, I still like who I am today. And that was a really important moment to get to, that we can strive for self-improvement, strive to be faster, but also acknowledge like, I like who I am and I appreciate my body and and my drive and my focus and my kindness towards others that I I like that about myself but I could still strive to be to be better and that was a really important um, distinction to make is that we're all pursuing something but to acknowledge in the moment that you like who you are despite pursuing something um, is is an important acknowledgement it's similar to to winning a race and patting yourself on the back but still wanting to run faster Oh, I love that, man, because from every tough situation, we can grow from it, man. What a great, what a great way to come out of that stronger. You know, we have been going for a long time. You've got training to do. You're going to be running Boston this year, aren't you? I am. I'm so excited. And just, just putting in the work every day, nothing has been extraordinary except the fact that I'm getting out there every day and putting in the long runs and putting in the tempo runs. And um, and there's a lot to say for consistency because I'm seeing myself um, gain that strength and endurance every every week. So it's been it's been a fun it's been a fun buildup so far. Well, it's consistency. You've got a lot of miles in. I think you've got some experience going over the yeah. course of your life. And it's running for the pure joy of running and having a, a more varied life. I mean, I can't imagine your result, whether or not you have a great time, isn't going to be positive because your your process has been. Yep, absolutely. Well, so there is one question I ask every guest who comes on the show before we sign off, and we're going to end with it. You ready? Yes. All right. So if you could leave our listeners with one final piece of advice, one little nugget to help them run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would it be? I think it would be, um, I would advise everybody to just pay attention to their thinking and see how they can uh, twist their thoughts to better serve them and those around them. Oh, I love it. It's very twisted. Twist yes. your thoughts. <laughs> Twist your thoughts. I mean, it's all awesome. You are doing great things in the world. I cannot wait for your book to hit the masses. It's going to be a bestseller immediately. And oh, I'll be rooting for you in Boston. Thank you so much, Nicole. Give my love to your family. You too. Okay. 
I think Dina is my new best friend. Don't you just want to hang out with her all the time? Seriously, I have so much work to do after learning about her journey. Okay, how about the art of paying attention? Holy crap, I need to turn off my phone in social situations. Thank you, Dina. You're amazing. What I love about Dina is that she is wise and full of amazing advice that she's learned the hard way, but she's also real and human and approachable. You know, she has a newfound perspective on what's truly important in life, and I can literally feel it as I talk to her. I think that her final nugget, pay attention to your thinking, is so compelling, and we can all gain just a little bit of that perspective she's worked so hard to achieve if we keep this in mind. So what are you thinking right now? Let's do it. Hopefully, you're thinking you'll get over to skirtsports.com and use a 30% discount. Don't give up on the newest, latest, and greatest. Seriously, go do that right now. But before you do, don't forget to check out Dina's new book, Let Your Mind Run. It's available starting today pretty much everywhere. Um, A huge thanks to Dina for coming on the show. What a rock star. And finally, before I go, don't forget to visit our friends at healthiq.com backslash RTW, stands for Run This World, to see if you qualify for better rates on life insurance. Tell them I sent you. Okay, then you know what time it is. It's time to get out there and run this world. Have a great workout, and I'll see you next week.